2 Samuel and chapter number 7. And we're going to put those up a little forward there. The chair's up a little forward, if you would. 2 Samuel and chapter number 7. And uh, our text verse is going to come from verse number 18 this morning. 2 Samuel and chapter uh, number 7. And I'm going to uh, begin reading, and I read uh, uh, not the entire passage, but a little sampling of the verses that lead up to verse 18. And we get to verse 18, we'll read all together our text verse. Let's stand together, please, out of respect for the Word of God. And you follow along with me. Verse number 1. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Back in chapter number 5, the king of Hiram had come and had built, uh, sent, sent his uh, trees and carpenters and masons and had built a palace for David. And uh, very impressive. And David's in his new house. He's sitting there, he's thinking. He's wild in this beautiful home. And he says, you know, there's no, there's no house for uh, the Ark of the Covenant. It was still uh, in a temporary dwelling place, a tabernacle. And he said, you know, there's no house, for, there's no house of the Lord. There's a house of David. There's no house of the Lord. And so he calls for uh, the prophet Nathan, verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 2, uh, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth without, within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Now, Nathan did something sometimes preachers do, sometimes parents do. Nathan said, That sounds like a great idea. Go ahead and do it. Except he didn't pray about it. He didn't talk uh, for a moment with it about the Lord. And uh, when Nathan got back home, verse number 4, it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? He's talking about a physical house, of course. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but I have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people of Israel, saying, Why build ye not me in the house of cedar? No. Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep cote, from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. That's quite a promotion, isn't it? Shepherd boy to a king. God does that. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. But I, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. Verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, when you pass, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. There he references Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now verse number 18. Read it aloud with me, please. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house? That thou hast brought me hitherto. Won't you notice that little phrase there in verse number 18? The Bible said, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. I want to talk to you on the subject this morning, sitting before the Lord. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, as you move my heart in reading once again, weeks ago now, this, uh, this passage of Scripture, moving my heart again as I preach it, moving the hearts of thy people as they hear. And I pray, Lord, that, that uh, the richness of this chapter, Lord, would become the desire of each and every believer's heart that listens to this message. 
And Lord, if there be someone here that's not a believer, that's not born again, not saved, doesn't understand the gospel yet. Maybe they profess salvation, but they don't understand the gospel yet. Maybe they've never heard the gospel, whatever it may be. Save the lost, save the lost, and stir thy people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. December the 12th, 1999, Brother Brian Simmons uh, snapped this picture. Dr. Lee Robertson, of course, was a, a great pastor, one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest pastors that ever lived, of the uh, tremendous uh, church here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the uh, uh, Highland Park Baptist Church, and uh, pastored 10,000 people there uh, in his heyday, hundreds saved and baptized year after year after year. Tennessee Temple's uh, 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 schools uh, train many, many of the preachers still across America, fundamental Baptist preachers. I was saved. Under Dr. Bob Settle's picture portrait hangs in the hallway out here. It's one of my mentors. I was saved under his preaching on a Wednesday night in the spring of 1979. My dad dealt with me that night, led me to Christ. Dr. Settle uh, spoke that night. Uh, I was trained at, uh, of course, uh, uh, Dr. Wendell Evans uh, at Howells Anderson College was the president while I was there. And he was trained by Dr. Lee Robertson. And uh, Dr. Robertson uh, preached uh, for us one time, one time. And uh, the service was over when this picture was snapped. Uh, the service was over. Folks were mingling. Most, uh, many folks were gone. And, and uh, the old man of God, and I think uh, in that picture, and I forgive me, uh, uh, he was in his late 80s, I believe. Uh, he died uh, in his 90s, of course. Uh, but uh, but anyway, uh, now this is just a single chair, but uh, you can see the little bench there. It's not a very big bench, but it's a uh, bench built for two, but uh, two of a particular size. Anyway, uh, but uh, Dr. Robertson always, uh, uh, he, he never ate supper. He ate uh, breakfast and he ate lunch. He never ate supper. And he kept himself thin his whole life. And uh, was very conscientious about, about that and, uh, and so forth. But anyway, we got, got done preaching. And, uh, and folks from England had his arm up on the back of the pew like this. And he, was watch, he watched for it. And I turned and looked at the man of God, and he caught my eye. And he did like this. He patted the seat next to him. Like, come here, young man, sit down. <laughs> so guess what I did? I went and sat down. And for about the next 15 or 20 minutes, he just talked to me. And I'll always cherish those few minutes. He said this to me. I remember that. He said this to me. He said, uh, he said, young man, I want you to know something. He said, if you were pastoring this church 50 years ago, and I don't remember the numbers exactly. He said, but, but anyway, he, his point was it would be much larger. He said this. He said, there's so much more, many more things competing for the local church now. He said, people can do anything and everything on Sunday anymore. He said, it didn't used to be like that. And he said, but you're doing a good work. And he said, now, this is what I do. He said, this is what I do with the building. And he started telling me, he said, you're growing and you're going to have to expand. He said, this is what I do. <laughs> and just give me instructions. He knew something about church building. And I just sat and I listened as the man of God talked to me. And I asked him a question or two. And we talked together. It was relaxing. It wasn't pressure. It was just enjoying the company of the man of God as I sat before the man of God. The Bible says in our text verse here that David, after this, after this message from God through the prophet Nathan, the Bible says in our text verse that he came and he sat before the Lord. Now, there are many positions in prayer uh, that the Bible talks about. For example, in Genesis 19, 27, it tells us that Abraham rose up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. You, you can talk to God. Uh, uh, standing on your head if you want to. You can talk to God in many positions. David, uh, 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 excuse me, Abraham in Genesis 19 stood before the Lord. In Genesis 5, in verse number 22, the Bible said that Enoch walked with God. I like to walk and talk with the Lord. He said, well, Pastor, why do you do that? Because it's early in the morning and I'm tired early in the morning. And, uh, and uh, when I walk, it helps me stay alert. And uh, I enjoy walking and talking with the Lord, and much of my prayer life is is uh, is walking and talking with the Lord. The Bible says in First Kings, chapter eight and verse number fifty-four, uh, the Bible said that uh, uh, Solomon was kneeling with his knees. He was kneeling on his excuse me, kneeling on his knees with his hands spread to heaven. 
as Solomon prayed. Solomon's prayer is recorded there as he knelt and spoke to his God. And so uh, Abraham stood, Enoch walked, and, and uh, Solomon knelt before the Lord. The Bible said in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 3, it said, All Israel bowed themselves with their faces to the ground and worshipped the Lord. The whole nation humbled themselves before God with their faces to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Hey, this is, that's a pretty good spot to get humble. Amen. Amen. There's something humble about putting your face in the dirt or in the carpet or in the grass or wherever. That might be a good idea for all of us occasionally. Maybe more than occasionally. What wonder what happened if all of America, just like all of Israel did, wonder what happened if all of America would bow themselves with their faces to the ground and worship the Lord. I tell you something, God might respond to that. Amen. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 and verse number 42 that Elijah has just prayed down fire from heaven on the top of Mount Carmel. Has it, has, has it rained for three plus years? And, uh, and he's going to ask the Lord for rain. And the Bible said he cast himself down. And I, I'm not going to do that because I'm... Anyway, for the sake of my knees, I'm not going to do it right here on a hardwood floor. But he cast himself down. Uh, the Bible said... Uh, and he, and he put his face between his knees. And he prayed for rain. And guess what? It rained. It rained. Now listen, in all these positions of prayer, may I say this, it's not the position. I would encourage you, if you're going to talk with the Lord, find a place where... You have a spirit and an attitude of prayer, one of humility. But the Bible said in our text verse, it said that, said that David sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. I, I, I don't know that this is rooted in truth. If it's not, it's still a good story. But as I remember hearing the story, it was rooted in truth. And I don't know enough, I don't know the details well enough to to begin to say that my version is accurate. So just give me grace in the details and don't miss the point. But a man was struggling with his prayer life. And he said, I just can't. He was talking to this old saint of God. And he said, you know, when you pray, it's just like you're just talking to God. It's like God is right there. And he said, I, I, I try to pray and I try to get through to heaven. And I said, just sometimes it just it doesn't seem to work. I don't know. I, I, I don't seem to connect with God like you do. He said, will you tell me something about your prayer life? He said, yeah. He said, when I pray, he said, I put two chairs together. And I sit down in one. And I look over at the other. And I see my Lord sitting there. And I say, Lord, how are you doing today? And he's doing quite well. And I tell him how I'm doing. And I say, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? And I get my Bible down and I'll read something. I say, wow, that's pretty good. That's, good. that's for me, wasn't it? Then I talk to him. I tell him what's on my heart. He talks to me and I talk to him. That man took that to heart. He had an attic. He went up in that attic, cleared some things away, got two chairs, set up in the attic. He said, God, you're going to become real to me. And every morning he'd go up and sit in those chairs, chair, <laughs> and he'd see his Lord sitting there, and he'd sit before the Lord and talk to God. I want to talk to you about this place, sitting before the Lord. Sitting before the Lord. May I ask you a question? Do you sit before the Lord? Oh, I kneel. All right, do you kneel before the Lord? If I get on my face, do you get on your face before the Lord? When's the last time you... I'm, talking, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about you, you quoted the Lord's Prayer, Our Father's Son in Heaven, Hallelujah. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you quoted Psalm 23. 
I'm not talking about you sit at service and they give you a bulletin and the crowd says this and the guy up there in the, in the, called himself a man, uh, uh, robed in a dress, uh, says this and you said that. And I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm not about religious ritual. I'm talking about you talk to God. You talk to God. I was in airport, O'Hare Airport between flights or waiting for a ride or something years and years ago. And I, went, I found a chapel. I went to the chapel and, and knelt down there for a while, prayed a little bit. A Muslim man came in, as of course is a interfaith chapel, I guess they might call it, and uh, they're in the airport. And a Muslim man came in, went over the corner, rolled his carpet out, got down on his knees, and uh, was, uh, praying, you know, about going up and down, so forth like that. And uh, and I just sat quietly, of course. And when he got done, I, I asked him very respectfully. I said, "Sir, could you tell me what you were praying about?" I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist preacher, and I was just in here praying too. And I was just curious what you're praying about. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, uh, I assume you were praying just then, weren't you? He said, yeah, I was praying. I said, well, what were you praying? He said, he said well, c- come over here. And he took me over there. They had a Bible opened up in this in the chapel there in the airport. And they had over here their Quran opened up. And he opened up to a passage. And he said, this is why I was praying right here. And I, of course, it was in it. I couldn't understand the language he was speaking. But he said, this is what I was praying right here. And I said, uh, I said, this, this, uh, this portion right here of your of the text? He said, yeah, that's, that's what I was praying. And I said, I prayed it. I heard it many times. I don't remember. I prayed it so many times. I said, well, uh, I said, so uh, is, that, is that what you normally do? He said, yeah, that's what we do. He said, that's my prayers. He said, there's another one over here. He showed me another prayer over here. And he said, and he said I'll pray that one sometimes different occasions, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I said, well, sir, I said, uh, let me ask you a question. I said, do you ever just talk to God? I mean, just, I mean, you know, not, not reading something, not quoting something. Do you ever just talk to God? He said, what do you mean? I said, I mean, do you ever, like, when you're praying, do you just, like, talk to God? I mean, just like, you know, God, uh, you know, whatever. He goes, he said, I don't understand what you mean. He said, these are our prayers. All of our prayers are right here. I said, yeah, I, I mean, do you ever just talk to God in your own words from your own heart? Not some words you got from somebody else, not reading something, not quoting something, just from your own heart. Do you ever just talk to God? And he looked at me like he'd never heard the concept in his entire life. David didn't sit down and say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep it. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take that. that, that, that. He didn't say, I'll say, Hail Mary, Mother God. Da, 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 da. He didn't say, uh, I can't quote the Lord's Prayer now, but anyway. Uh, uh, our Father's heart in heaven, how to be in thine kingdom come. They didn't have to get saved. That's not what he did. He sat down and talked to the Lord. He sat down and talked to the Lord. May I ask you a question? When's the last time? I'm not sure. Okay, God, I tell you, I got five minutes here. Can you give me something good? God said, oh, you're busy. Go ahead. You know, it's a courtesy. Somebody comes to your house or whatever, and they say, hey, come on in. Come on, have a seat. He said, oh, man, I, I, I'm not going to sit down. I just got a minute or two. All right, we understand that. But if you're going to fellowship with somebody, they say, come, come, come in, have a seat. What do we say? Said, sit down, relax. Let's put our guard down. You know where the handshake came from? The handshake came from uh, back in time, when, when, when folks would strap their sword in, in, uh, in days gone by, and uh, 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 they, they, they had the sword right there where uh, if uh, they were prepared to defend themselves uh, or advance on a foe. And so the, the extending of the hand was as saying, I come to you in peace. I'm not going to draw my sword. I come to you in peace and extend my hand. That developed in what, what we know today as the handshake. Now, what it says is, I, I come in peace. I want a friendship with you. I like to fellowship with you. I like to get to know you better. Nice to meet you. And, and when, you, when, you, when you come and, and someone you love and care about and someone you meet or something, you want to get to know them, you say, hey, hey, come on in. Have a seat. Have a seat. And... Uh, and, and, you, and you talk together. You're not in a hurry. You don't say. No. How 
you doing? Excuse me. Just, I don't have a phone with me. Check my PA device. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm listening. No, it, it, David came, and uh, of course David didn't have a cell phone, nor a lapel mic. Uh, but David came. He said, I'm not in a hurry. I want to fellowship with you. I want to talk to you. Now, what had just happened? What had just happened is a man of God had come to him. David had some good intentions. He wanted to build a house for the Lord. And that meant something to the Lord. I, the Lord was uh, 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 grateful for that, but it wasn't God's plan. And Nathan had come and talked to David about God's plan for his life, and for his home, for his family. David has a, a sense of gratitude. In, he's living in this beautiful brand new house that Hiram King came and just made for this magnificent home. And he's sitting there and he's thinking, you know, here I have so much. And we don't even house for, have a house for the Lord. I'd like to build one. And Nathan comes and, and says, Now, David, listen, uh, God's not going to let you build that house. He's going to let your son build it. And by the way, David spent the rest of his life preparing for that. Much of the rest of his life preparing for that temple that would be built. And then Nathan begins to talk to David about his life, about his future, about his home, about his family. The man of God leaves. Verse number 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I? O Lord God. And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. And I have spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Can I give you some thoughts this morning? Sitting before the Lord, number one, is a place of humility. It's a place of humility. Do you see David's thought process here? Here he is sitting in a beautiful new home. He has a desire to build a house for the Lord. And God said, not in this generation, in the next generation. He said, but I've got some great plans for your family. And for your kingdom. And David takes all this in from the man of God. And his heart's just overwhelmed. His heart is overwhelmed with a sense of God's goodness. And a sense of his own unworthiness. And thus he says, who am I? Who am I? Sitting before the Lord is a place of of humility. Let me tell you something. If you'll sit before the Lord, it'll knock that cocky off of you. That little chip you wear. It'll knock that off of you. If you come and sit before the Lord, it'll humble you. When a man comes into the presence of God, he is overwhelmed with the glory of God, with the power of God, and the holiness of God. And not only is he enraptured by who God is, but seeing God for who he is then reveals self to himself. And Isaiah, the man of God, went in front of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Then said I, woe is me. Woe is me. Jacob, the Bible said in Genesis 32, 10, he said, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. Moses in Exodus 3, 11 said, who am I that I should go to Egypt to deliver God's people? In 1 Samuel 18, numbers of chapters back in the previous book, he said, Who am I to be a son-in-law to a king? Solomon would say in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, when he learns of God's plan for him, he said, I'm but a little child and I need an understanding heart when he prayed for wisdom. He said, I'm just like a little child. Jeremiah 1, 6, when God called him, in verse 5, called him from his mother's womb, and he said, Oh, verse 6, Oh, Lord God, I cannot speak. I'm just a child. How could I be your representative? Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you sat before the Lord and became overwhelmed with a sense of God's goodness in your life and a sense of your own unworthiness? 
Have you spent enough time before the Lord that you just got carried away with how good God is and how, how, how unworthy uh, you are, how unworthy I am in His presence? Uh, you don't do that in a hurry. You don't do that in a, uh, uh, quickly. You say, God, i got five minutes. No, 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 no. You come and you say, let's have a seat and let's spend some time together and let's talk. And the more time you spend in His presence, the more lovely He becomes. Listen, the more time you spend with your neighbor, the less impressed you're going to be with Him. Some of you live with your spouse long enough where you know their warts. The more time you spend with anybody, any person, no matter how great a person they may be, you won't find out they're human. But in Jesus Christ, there's no disappointments. He's altogether lovely. (laughs) No spot, no blemish, no wrinkle. The more time you spend with Him, the better it gets. And you get in His presence and you become overwhelmed with how good He is. And you find yourself, as a woman was, on her knees, washing His feet with her tears. As so many others do a little word search sometime and study how many people got down at the feet of Jesus. And some even kissed His feet and some wrapped their arms around His feet and, and got down humble before Him. Why? Because in His presence they become overwhelmed with how good He is and how unworthy they themselves were. Oh, listen, I invite you this morning, as David did, to come and sit before the Lord and go to that place of humility. That place of humility. I read recently of Brother Ford Porter, Pastor Ford Porter. You picked up some tracks last week, God's simple plan of salvation. Dr. Ford Porter wrote that track for his own community. He built a church uh, in, uh, in uh, Indiana and uh, Indianapolis area, if I recall correctly, but in Indiana. And, um, and uh, he, uh, he, uh, he uh, wrote that track. He said, I, he, I couldn't find a track adequate. He felt like it was adequate for uh, his community. And so he said, I wrote that and gave it out all over his uh, town. And somebody said, okay, uh, that's a good track. Can, you, can I have some? And, and now then that thing's printed in over 100 different languages, gone all over the world. And Dr. Porter has a, a legacy of impacting the world through that gospel track. It was his practice to rise in prayer at 4 a.m. each morning. And we pray every morning from 4 a.m. to somewhere between 6 and 7 in the morning, two to three hours, he'd spend in prayer. He had a church, but never built a what we would call a significantly large church. And I'm not saying large means good, but I'm just saying he just it wasn't a great church builder, as, as you might consider great church builders. He had a camp, Camp Berean, but it, it, it was a good camp. But it was never uh, a camp that impacted uh, the nation, if you will. He held revival campaigns and was effective, but he wouldn't be uh, what you'd think of as a Billy Sunday or a Dale Moody or something like that. But as a man of prayer, he said, God, I'd like to impact the world. I'd like to make a difference in the world. And I, I don't preach great sermons and I don't have a big ministry. But I'd like to impact the world. And those who knew him would say that when Dr. Porter began to pray, and he'd pray, he, he'd stop right in the middle of the road and pray. If God, if he got, he'd pray. I mean, and when he prayed, he prayed out loud. Big booming voice. One time the police had to come escort him out of the middle of the street because he got, got to pray and just stopped in the middle of the street. Cars going this way and that around him. He's just he's praying. He just gets lost to what he was doing. He's a man of prayer. But those who knew him would say this. When Dr. Porter, you didn't ever pray. They, you didn't ever call on him before the food. Dr. Porter would say the blessing. Now you know it because by the time he got done, the, the food would be cold. <laughs> Nobody, his friends wouldn't call him to pray before the food. But he's a man of prayer. And there was one statement. There was one statement. Those who knew him and loved him said this. If you ever heard him when he was praying, Oh God, if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. He said, because if he ever got there, he wasn't stopping. He'd go on and on and on and on. There's something about that thought and something about that statement that would grip the heart of Dr. Ford Porter. And he'd say, Oh God, if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. And then he'd go to praying and praying and praying and praying. And if it was a prayer meeting, usually he'd be the only one in the room when it was over. Everybody else will be gone. You ask your question, is anything like that script your heart of late? He sat before the Lord and you said, Oh God, I don't know why you've been so good to me. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. 
When's the last time you sat before the Lord in that place of humility? Not only, number one, is that a place of humility. Number two, it's a place of transparency. Look at what he says in verse number 20. And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. Can I tell you this, my dear friend? You can fool your husband, you can fool your wife, you can fool your kids, you can fool your boss, you can fool your pastor, you can fool your friends, you can fool your neighbors. But you can't fool God. You can't fool God. God, you know me. God, you know me. You see, when you get in the presence of the Lord, there's no sense in pretending. Do you know why when you, when you get away from... Backslide, you know what's the first thing happens when you actually quit praying? You got some sin in your life, what do you do? First thing, you quit praying. Why? You don't go pray, why? Because you, you're going to sit down, God saying, we need to talk about something. Ah, Lord, I'm busy right now. I got I, I to gotta go, go win somebody to Christ. I got to go preach a message. I got to go help my neighbor, feed my neighbor's cat. I got I to I gotta, I gotta go to work. I no, no, you're not in that big a hurry. You just don't want to sit long enough to have a real conversation with God. Well, you come sit before the Lord. God said, we need to talk about something, don't we? And you say, I knew he was going to get it. I knew he was going to get around to that. I just want to glorify you for a while. He said, you can glorify me in a minute. Let's talk about something. It's a place of transparency. In Genesis chapter number 32, Jacob is expecting to be executed the next day. He expects his brother... Esau to kill him. He divides his family into two groups. Man said, if we get attacked, he's, Esau's coming 400 men. Last time he saw Esau, Esau swore to kill him. It's 20 years later. And Esau's on his way, and somebody says, Esau's headed toward you, and he's got 400 men with him. And Jacob gets his family, divides them up into two groups. He says, if we get attacked, y'all run that way, y'all run that way. And the Bible said he, he stayed back to talk to the Lord that night. And the Bible said he wrestled with the Lord all night long. You know the story, most of you. I can imagine that prayer. The Bible just gives a little snippet of that all night prayer meeting. But I can imagine old Jacob saying, God, you got to help me now. My brother's going to kill me in the morning. He's going to kill all my family. you got to help me. i got to help me. And God looks down from heaven. He says, Jacob, let's talk about something. God, are you not listening to me? I need something from you. God said, Jacob, let's talk about something. No, God, we can talk about that later. Right now, I need, I, this is an emergency. What would you do if he was an emergency? God said, you know, before we talk about that emergency, let's, we need, let's discuss a couple things. But no, this is urgent, God, this is urgent. And guess what? They wrestled back and forth and wrestled back and forth. And Jacob couldn't seem to get what he wanted from God. Assurance of his safety and that of his family until the early breaking of the morn. The next morning, God looked at Jacob and said, Jacob, it's time you get honest with me and honest with yourself. What is your name? And he said, I am Jacob. What's the significance of that? The word Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. Now, he's given a new name in that same passage. Israel was prince of God and of men. A prince with God. And, 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 but before God could make Jacob a prince, he had to get honest with himself. Jacob had to get honest with himself. You see, you know, you, you know, if you don't have much of a prayer life, quite frankly... It's because you're not comfortable. Because when you, listen, you can sit and talk with me and shmoo me. You can shmoo your spouse. You can, sh- it's shmoo, is that a word? Shmoo? It's not a Bible word, but it's a good word. Y'all understand what I mean by shmoo? Okay. You can shmoo your spouse. You can shmoo your, your kids. You can shmoo your boss. You can shmoo a lot of people, but you can't shmoo God. You can't shmoo God. You can't fool God. But me, 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 me and God, we're tight. And God says, we are? Really? Huh, news to me. Well, you know, God, we're, we're close. You know, I love you, God. He says, uh-huh. yeah, we need to talk about something. No, I just want to sit here. I just want to sit in your presence and worship you, God. Said, nah, let's talk about something. Oh, God, I love you. I just love you so much. I just got to tell you over and over again, I love you, I love you, love you, love you. God said, if you love me, there's some things you need to do. Because if you love me, you keep my commandments. So let's talk about some things. No, no, no. I just want to sit here and tell you how much I love you. And God's, God says, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if God wrinkles his face like that, but you get the picture. In other words, God said, I, God, God doesn't help us play our charades, our spiritual charades. 
He doesn't. He said, this is a place of transparency. When God got done with Job, in those chapter after chapter, some, somewhere around 90 questions, he fires at Job. Job's been, been hammered by his friends for chapter after chapter after chapter. And then finally get to the end of the book of Job, and I'm so ready for God to defend Job. And, and then God goes after Job, so to speak, and questions him over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And finally, in chapter 42, verse 5 and 6, Job said these words, I've heard with my ears, my eyes see it. And I abhor myself and repent and sackcloth and ashes. It's not an exact phrase. But my point is this. Job finally humbled himself. And he got honest. To sit before the Lord means to lay all pretense aside. Our young people sing Psalm 139. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm with the last two verses of the chapter. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me. When was the last time you just went before the Lord? Lord, look inside. Search me. Know my heart. I'm ready for you to tell me what's in there. Now, that's not comfortable for the flesh. Maybe in all of our busyness for the Lord, we begin to think we're holy just because we're busy. But busyness is not holiness. I'm for being busy for the Lord, but that's not holiness. And it can never replace holiness. Number one, sitting before the Lord is a place of humility. Number two, it's a place of transparency. Number three, it's a place of worship. (laughs) It's a place of worship. You see what he said here in verse number... Uh, 21, for thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. This is David sharing his heart with the Lord as he sits before the Lord. Wherefore, here it is, thou art great, O Lord God, for there's none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee according to all that we've heard with us. Oh God, you're such a great God and nobody like you. What a great God we have. David's worshiping the Lord. What one nation of the earth is like thy people? Even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nation and their gods. Oh God, look what you brought us from and look what you saved us from and how you're using us. Oh, what a wonderful God. There's nobody like you. What a great God. He says in verse number 26, And let thy name be magnified forever. Amen. I just want God to look good in my I want God to be magnified in my life. Worship. You know what praise is? Praise is thanking God for what He's done in your life. How many of you got eyes that can see? Say amen. Ears that can hear? Say amen. Lips that, uh, 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 a mouth that can speak? Say amen. Uh, how many of you are healthy enough to be here today? Say amen. How many thankful for your freedom? Say amen. How many thankful for your church? Say amen. How many thankful for your pastor? Say amen. Okay, sorry. Anyway, uh, you thankful for your family? Say amen. How, we just go on and on. All the good things that God's done for us. Worship's a little different. Worship's more intimate than praise. Praise is thank you for all the good things you've done for me. Worship is intimate. Worship is adoration. Worship speaks not just to the things God has done for us. Worship speaks to who God is. Get an example. If I said to my wife, thank you, honey, for washing my clothes. Thank you, sweetheart, for ironing my, uh, my shirt for me today and my pants for me. And, and honey, thank you for the meal. And thank you so much for cleaning up after me. I walked in and tracked Buddy in on the floor. Thank you for cleaning up after me. And Lord, and Lord, uh, why did she use the Lord of the house? Anyway, but, uh, sweetheart, thank you for doing the shopping for us. And I, what am I doing? I'm thanking her for all the things she, do, she does. But if I said this, uh, sweetheart, you sure are beautiful. And you're so thoughtful. And you're so kind. And you sure are patient. Now, what am I doing? That's more intimate. That's thanking her for who she is. 
or character. You understand the difference? Praise is thanking God for what he's done, for what he's given you, for example, what he's done in your life. How I many of God saved you? Say amen. You know, praise God every day. God, thank you for saving me. But if you want to worship God, you get around him and you see his character, who he is. You know what God is? God is love. God is so loving. He even loves sinners. He's love. He is holy. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present with us. He is faithful. He is true. He is just. Every decision He ever makes is a perfectly good decision. He is perfectly just. He's right. He's patient. He's forbearing, which means when he, we deserve a spanking sometimes, He holds back. Woo! What a great God we have. Amen. And David worships before the Lord. In Matthew 6, verse 9, it teaches to pray. And he introduces a word for God. Most oft used thereafter, and it's first mentioned as a title for God in Matthew 6, 9. Our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What name? Father. You ever just get in the presence of God and say, Oh, what a loving father you are. What a loving father. Father, father. And the New Testament gets even more intimate. And you see the man of God as he cries out, Abba, father. We do that through the spirit. The Bible said through the spirit we cry, Abba, father. That's like daddy. That's even less formal. But it, it, it signifies God. And it, and it tells us about the character of God as a watchful, ever-loving, ever-present Caring God, not one who controls us like puppets, but one who's there in the good times and the bad, one who's there when we stumble and fall, and we worship Him for being our Father. Lastly, sitting before the Lord's a place of humility, a place of transparency, a place of worship, and finally, is a place of surrender. Would you look at verse 21 again? David in his prayer says this, For thy word's sake, for thy word's sake. Notice that. He's just received the word of the Lord from the man of God. For thy word's sake. And according to thine own heart. Hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Look down at verse number 25. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken. Concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. Look at verse 27. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in a house, therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto me. And now, O Lord God, thou art that, that God and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Look at the end of verse number 25, near the end. Uh, it said, Thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Look, what is this? This is a place of surrender. David is now praying in accordance to God's word. God has given through the prophet Nathan his plan for David and his family. And now he is praying in harmony with what he knows is God's will for his life. Sitting before the Lord is a place of humility and a place of openness, transparency, and honesty. It's a place of worship, but it is also a place of surrender. David had already begun to see the significance of his life on his generation. Back in 2 Samuel 6, without taking time to turn to it, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, you find that David understood something when he became king, that God had given him this position and this influence for Israel's sake, for the nation's sake, for the purpose of serving others. Not so he could have a big fancy house and a lot of power and a title, but he knew, even as a young man, God, you did this for the people, your people's sake. And that's why I'm here. Not because of me, but because you have a purpose for your people. And I get to serve your people. David was beginning to understand the significance of his life on his generation. Acts 13, 36. David uh, served his own generation by the will of God. 
God. Listen to me very carefully. The greatest thing that any of us could do to help our country, to help our world, to help our generation is to do as David did and serve our own generation. How? By the will of God. The greatest thing you can do for your country is to know and do the will of God. The greatest thing you can do for the demise of the USA is to know and do the will of God. That's the greatest thing you can do for your generation. And David had begun to understand that God had a plan for David and his house because there was a people that needed God and David was there to lead them to God and to guide them. And may I say, dear friend, God didn't just save you to keep you out of hell. God didn't just save you to give you a mansion in heaven. God saved you to get some more folks saved. God saved you to help somebody in your generation. Your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your cousin, your co-workers. Sitting before the Lord is a place of surrender. Or you say, God, I see it. My life's about more than me. In Luke 12, 16 through 21, we have that parable about the man that was so successful. He was in agriculture as a farmer and he was so successful. He had literally so much, his harvest was so big he had run out of room to put all his harvest. And he's lying in bed and he's thinking, what am I going to do? Man, I got a whole, I got, I got so many more acres coming in. And the grain's coming in so fast. I've run out of place to put everything. What am I going to do? He said, ah, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll be, build bigger barns. And then I'll say to myself, I saw that I have many things laid up for thy future. Eat, drink, retire, and be merry. And then the word of the Lord came. Thou fool. Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who's going to eat all that grain? Then who shall these things be, the Bible says. That man died without understanding. He had a purpose greater than just feeding his face, building a house, and being comfortable. But there's something else here. Sitting before the Lord is a place of surrender. I've got to impact my generation. Mom and Dad, listen to me. Mom and Dad, if you're not praying for your children, who's praying for your children? If you're not praying for your grandchildren, who's praying for your grandchildren? You think your neighbor is? You think so? You're not praying for them? You think your neighbor is? If you're not leading, if you're not teaching your children, who do you think is going to? If you're not influencing them toward God, somebody will on the back of the bus, online. There's plenty of predators online. They're just playing a game. Yeah, they like to hang out there too, don't they? Yeah. But David began to understand his significance, the significance of his life on his own generation. But there's something else here. Look at verse number 16. Nathan is speaking to David. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We just went beyond time. Did you see that? We just, we just hyperblast beyond David's time. We're talking about eternity future. Did you see that? Thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. You find it again in verse 24. For thou hast confirmed to thy... This is David's prayer. He understood what Nathan had told him. That's prophetic. He's speaking about things to come. David recognizes it because he reiterates it in verse 24. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. Verse 26, let thy name be magnified forever. Verse 29, therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant that it may continue forever. He's praying in harmony with God's revealed word that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. David 
has not only come to understand in the, as he sits before the Lord that God has a plan for his life and to affect his generation and some people to serve and not live for himself, but to live for others. And he understands that. But now he's understanding even more. David has also seen beyond his generation. And he says, God, I realize that you have a plan for me and for my family, my household, that not doesn't just impact this generation, but you have a plan for me and my family that impacts eternity. And I want that blessing. I want that blessing. You don't want to just use us in this generation. You want to use my house for years and not just years and centuries and not just centuries, but you want to impact my, use my family to impact eternity. Eternity. I find in Psalm 89 that he reiterates that when he says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever. I find Peter standing on the day of Pentecost. As he preaches that sermon where 3,000 folks got saved and baptized and joined the church on the same day. And he says, men and brethren, in Acts 2.29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. That he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David was a prophet in this sense, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, He would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. We find in Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised alone by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power. And you go to the last chapter of the New Testament, in Revelation 22, verse 16, I I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. That joins the 59 specific references to David throughout the New Testament. What I'm saying is this, is that when David sat before the Lord and he got in the presence of God, it was a place of humility, it was a place of openness and honesty, it was a place of worship, but it was a place of surrender that my life isn't just about me and mine. My life is about the generations to come. My life is about eternity. And when I live my life and make my choices, will I help people go to heaven or will I encourage others on the wide path to hell? Am I making a difference for eternity? That's what God showed David. And to that day in, David was surrendered. And he said, for this day forward, My life, my kingdom, it's not just about me. It's about eternity. May I invite you, as David did, to come. Have a seat. Sit a while. Don't be in a hurry. Remove the distractions. And let us sit before the Lord. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed.